In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus, as we gather here this evening, help us to meditate on the Last Supper, the institution of the Eucharist, the gift of your body and blood. Please increase our faith in your real presence. Help us to appreciate that we are friends and not servants. And help us to practice the new commandment that you left us to love one another as you have loved us. Once again, Mother Mary, we entrust this meditation to your immaculate heart and crown you the queen of our prayer as we pray together. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So if you want to turn to Luke's Gospel, we'll read the Last Supper account there. It's Luke chapter 22. Luke 22, verse 14. And when the hour came, he sat at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I shall not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a chalice, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I shall not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the chalice after supper, saying, This chalice which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another which of them it was that would do this. It's always a good meditation just to look at the verbs that Jesus uses to institute the Eucharist, which we hear at every Mass. He took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember, we were saying how important it is to remember the graces that we have received, to remember the works of the Lord. 
And so every Mass is a memorial that is efficacious. It really makes present what it signifies, right? We believe that. And that it's not just, you know, Jesus wasn't just foreshadowing the crucifixion, but the Eucharist makes present, you might say, the entire mystery of Christ's life. So you don't just have to focus on Calvary whenever you're at Mass, at the consecration. You can think about his birth. You can think about his public life, his miracles, his transfiguration. I mean, any part of Christ's life, in a sense, is made present. The whole Christ is made present. But certainly we remember the fact that it is a sacrifice, that his whole life was a sacrifice. I remember reading, uh, I think it was uh, Conchita from Mexico. She's now blessed anyway. Uh, and Jesus revealed to her that from the moment of his incarnation, so from the moment he was in Mary's womb as man, his human heart was already suffering. He was already suffering uh, the sorrows, if you will, of humanity that he came to save. So his whole life was an offering to the Father for each and every one of us. And there's a great line. Some of you, I'm sure, have heard me say this before, but it's a great line, especially when you go to the Holy Land, but it's number 250-something in the Catechism in the part of the Sacred Heart. It's talking about the humanity of Christ, so it's in the Creed, that he's true God and true man, and under that part of true man, it talks about his Sacred Heart. And there's a beautiful paragraph there that says, in each and every moment of his life, Jesus knew me and loved me. And from the moment of his incarnation, until, you know, he ascended into heaven. But in each and every moment of his life, Jesus knew me and loved me and was, in a sense, offering himself for me. How is that? Well, because he is also true God and true man. So because of his divine intellect, you got the catechism there? Can I borrow it real quick? At least in this catechism, I'm off. <laughs> Let's see. So that's the gist of it anyway, that in each and every moment of his life, Jesus knew me and loved me, which is pretty amazing. Because of his divine intellect, he could see into the future. He could look back to the past and he could see your face and he knew your name 
and he was doing everything that he was doing out of love for you and out of love for me. And then you look at the Eucharist, and the, myst- the, the Eucharist is really an amazing mystery because it actually prolongs Christ's presence throughout time. But it prolongs his entire mystery, in a sense. So it makes present his birth. It makes present his crucifixion. It makes present his resurrection for us in time, today. Even though we know it already happened, but again, the, the mystery of the Eucharist, it's almost as if Jesus takes the, you know, all of those things that happened, he puts them in the Eucharist, and then he just stretches them out through time. It, I mean, I'm sure when we get to heaven, it'll just blow our minds, like, how deep that mystery is. But in a sense, that's what's happening. So that what happened 2,000 years ago is still happening today. Because if you think about it, where is he really? He's in heaven at the right hand of the Father, right? So he's now out of time, and yet he's also chosen to stay in time at the same time. <laughs> and to prolong his presence, to like stretch himself. I mean, it's a beautiful analogy if you think about it. Stretching his arms out on the cross, right? He chose to stretch himself out in a real way in a substantial way through the Eucharist. So it's pretty amazing. And, and so you can say then with certainty as you're sitting in front of him that as he was doing all of those things, he saw your face and he knew you and he loved you and he was doing those things out of love for you. It's pretty amazing. So not only was Jesus with you all throughout your life, but you were with him all throughout his life, in his heart. How about that? Even though you weren't even born yet, right? You were only in the mind of God, yet he was carrying you with him all throughout his life. Isn't that amazing? That's pretty awesome. So when you sit in front of him there, he's like, hey, yeah, I know you. you know, I've always known you. And I carried you in my heart. And tonight, again, we're not going to have a whole lot of time to do it justice, but, you know, we, we look at the cross, and I think this can enrich your appreciation for Christ crucified. Because as he was there hanging from the cross, again, he was doing that for you. And not just because of you, you know, yes, he was dying for your sins and and for my sins. So, yes, he was suffering for us. That's true. That's true. He was paying the price for our sins, for our, yes, that's true. However, there's so much more to it because he was really suffering with you in those moments of his passion. The book of Hebrews talks about the fact that we have a compassionate high priest, one who has been tempted in every way but never sinned, but he he knows what it means to be human and to suffer fatigue and hunger and, and ridicule and rejection and hatred 
and yes, even death itself. So he wanted to go through all of that. But again, well, what did we just say? That he was carrying you in his heart as he went to the cross. And I like to think about it. It's kind of, it's a particularly vivid meditation in a sense. Jesus falls for the first time with the cross. Well, what motivates him to get up? You do. He was carrying you in his heart as he walked the streets of Jerusalem on his way to Calvary, as he was being whipped and spat upon. And he, he was carrying you and he was carrying me with him. He saw our faces. He knew our names. And he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going through with it. I'm going all the way. And he could even see the moments of your life that would correspond to his passion. You follow that? He could see the moments of your life that would correspond, that would relate to his passion. Because he didn't want you to suffer alone. So imagine as he's being unjustly condemned before Pilate. And they're crying out, crucify him, crucify him. So in those moments, again, because he's God and his mind can move, you know, at a billion miles an hour, right? He could see everyone in the history of mankind who was ever unjustly condemned. And so if you've ever been unjustly condemned in a sense... Well, he was with you in that moment, and he was bringing you with him in that moment. And he's saying to you throughout time, especially through his real presence in the Eucharist, I was with you. You weren't alone. And then, you know, you can do that all throughout the Passion, right? All the different things he suffered, the scourging at the pillar, you know, that... I mean, they stripped him there, right? So, I mean, and they stripped him at the cross. And so just the embarrassment, the shame, the abuse, the crowning with thorns, you know, the way they, they mocked him and, and made, you know, made fun of him there. And, and then just the weight of the cross and carrying the cross and falling down and getting back up. And So he, he was carrying you in his heart all throughout his life. But in his passion, there's so much, I think, there are so many connections to be made that, that maybe you've never made before. But it can be very healing. Even that can be very healing. To know that you weren't alone and to know that he was thinking of you. And he was suffering with you. Even when you were quote-unquote, at your worst, which is, in a sense, consoling. That's, that can be healing, to know that you were loved when you were at your worst. Jesus was loving you at your worst. Whether 
was because of your own choices or because of other people's choices that were hurting you? So that can really transform the understanding of, of the Eucharist and, and the passion. And then you don't want to stop there in a sense. You know, tonight we're going to pause there on, on the, the institution of the Eucharist, priesthood, the passion. But we don't want to get stuck there. Because we don't want to identify with our wounded self, right? Our wounds don't define us, right? So we want to go through eventually, you know, to the resurrection and to remember that he is risen and that we rise with him. A friend of mine uh, had a very profound encounter with the Lord with regards to this point. So I have permission to read this from her. So she was getting this from the Lord in, in her prayer. He, the Lord, drew my thoughts closer to him, knocking on the door of my heart and softly asked to come in. He didn't push, he didn't pry, he just waited. I lay down with my arms extended, palms facing up. I hesitantly asked him to unite my thoughts to his. It's a beautiful prayer right there. Lord, unite my thoughts to your thoughts. This vulnerability is not easy nor natural, but there's a desperation deep inside that allows it to happen. Desperation. Remember, we talked about that this morning. Lord, make me desperate for you. I fear what he will say or reveal. My thoughts started to race as I begged him to make his presence known. I quieted down and instantly felt my body relax. He is here. There was such a calmness to it that I felt as if I wasn't even inside myself anymore. I was standing over his body in the tomb. His body laid as still as mine. He validated my wounds once again. He assured me that he knew where each wound was and the hour they were created. He felt the hands run over my exposed body. He trembled with the fear I felt. He heard the words of hate spoken to me. His broken and mutilated body was like a mirror of my own wounds. But his body laying in the tomb was not as familiar as it was on the cross. And then I heard, my child, you identify with the sight of myself on the cross, my body bleeding, ripped, and bruised. But what you don't see is that it was healed. You were healed. Identify with my healed body. My passion was not near as great as my resurrection. An image of myself being pulled out of my body and into his lap, wrapped in the red blanket, presented again. He assured me that through it all, my heart and dignity was never at the reach of those who harmed me, and my body will be healed. Pretty powerful, huh? She's not even 30 years old. 
She was raped twice, once in her own house, in her own bed, by a stranger. So we want to pause on the crucifixion, but we don't want to get stuck there. We want to appreciate the fact that he can relate to my pain, every single bit of it, but then we don't want to get stuck there. So tonight, as you are praying before him, ask for that grace to experience his presence in your pain, but then to liberate you from that pain and to lead you through it to the resurrection. Because in the Eucharist, he is also resurrected and and, in glory. want to read from John's gospel here, chapter 13, where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Such a beautiful moment, such an intimate moment, John chapter 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father... Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end, like to the extreme. And during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments and tied a towel around himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet to wipe them with the towel that was tied around him. Pope Benedict has a beautiful reflection on this basin, on this whole scene, but he relates the basin of water that Jesus used to wash their feet with the sacred heart of Jesus, with his own heart. So that as he was, you know, lowering, so to speak, the feet of the apostles into this basin, he was also bringing them into his heart. And it was a symbolic gesture, you know, of of washing their feet. He was also bringing them into his heart, again, to carry them with him and to cleanse them from their sins, looking forward to what he was going to do again on the cross. He came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I, am doing, what I am doing you do not know now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part in me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but he is clean all over, and you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, You are not all clean. 
this speaks to me about letting God love me, letting God love you. Peter was, you know, resisting this act of love, this act of intimacy. A friend of mine, well, there were some friends of mine gathered around a table, a priest and some laywomen, and we looked this, this passage up, and apparently to wash one's, or to wash somebody's feet was a euphemism, a Jewish euphemism for making love. So maybe that's what, you know, Peter was resisting in a sense. <laughs> like, what are you doing, Lord? <laughs> what are you trying to say here? But if that's true, I mean, again, like, wow, how intimate, like, was the Lord trying to, you know, make this moment of his last supper? That this was going to be something that would speak to, you know, generations to come about his desire to be united with his church, with his bride. Nevertheless, Peter was resisting this humble act of service that Jesus was offering him. And was wanting it his way, right? Like, well, I'm above this, but you know, if you want to wash all of me, well, then okay, bring it on, you know? Like, but the Lord's like, easy, Peter. <laughs> you know, you can't control everything here. Just receive what it is that I'm doing for you, the way that I'm doing it. When he had washed their feet and taken his garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So again, Jesus giving us an example. Really establishing a new standard for greatness. In Luke's gospel, which we just read, I didn't continue reading, but in that Luke, uh, in that account that Luke gives, uh, the apostles are starting to argue about who's the greatest. And Jesus is like, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And the greatest among you must be your servant. So Jesus is really establishing a new standard of greatness. If you want to be great, then humble yourself and serve. So he turns the wisdom of the world upside down. If we just fast forward a little bit to 1331, John 1331. When he had gone out, Judas, that is, Jesus. so Jesus, Jesus even washed Judas' feet. Imagine. Imagine what was going on in the Lord's mind at that moment. How sad he must have been. So Jesus knows what it means to be betrayed, to be lied to, 
So if you've ever been betrayed, lied to, right, the Lord knows what that feels like. He knows how that hurts. And, and, and so what's the point, right? It's like, well, as I was sharing with somebody the other day, I mean, it can give meaning and value and purpose to what you're going through or what you have gone through. Let me say that again, right? So the point behind this is it's, in a sense, it's the teaching, it's the value of redemptive suffering. That Christ's sacrifice was redemptive and that was the one perfect sacrifice. However, you know, he invites us to participate in that. And insofar as we unite our own sufferings to his, we unite even the cries of our heart with the cries of his heart and Mary's heart as she stood at the foot of the cross. And we cry out to the Father, just as Jesus did, and we ask for the Spirit to be poured out. We, we pray for healing. We pray for conversion. We pray for salvation. So it's, it's the union then of our hearts with Christ's heart in those moments, in those powerful moments of his life, like the culmination of his whole life, the culmination of his prayer, of his sacrifice during his passion. As we unite our crosses with his, our sufferings with his, in those moments, we'll, and then we cry out you know, to the Father. But we, you see the difference between that and just offering it up? You know? I just offer it up. You know? There's not a whole lot of intimacy in that, is there? <laughs> this friend of mine from Florida, wonderful woman, she, she talks about the difference between just offering it up and suffering with. Suffering with being you know, that's compassion, literally what me what compassion means is to suffer with. So no doubt the, the most painful thing in any suffering is feeling alone, right? Doesn't matter if you just have a little cold or you're battling cancer. If if you feel alone and you're suffering, well that's the worst, right? That's why solitary confinement is one of the greatest tortures you know, that we've invented because you're alone. Nobody likes to feel alone and abandoned. But if you know that in your suffering that Christ knew you and was carrying you and your suffering with him as he went through his suffering, well, now you can unite with him in that moment through faith in the order of grace, and now all of a sudden... What you're going through becomes very powerful and, and meaningful and redemptive. Not only for you, but you know, for whatever intentions you have in your heart. I hope that makes sense.
some sense anyway. So the new commandment, little children, this is back in John's gospel here. Yet a little while I am with you, you will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. I was listening to a great talk the other night. I shouldn't have stayed up so late, but this guy, Ben Fitzgerald, is really good. I'll, I could share it with some of you later. Um, but he was talking about his own conversion and how the Lord kept asking any Christian guy, not Catholic, some kind of a pastor. And, but he's like, you know, we have to let the love of God for souls overcome our fear of, of man. How often do we not say something or do something because of, well, what are they going to say? I'm afraid of what they're going to say. I'm afraid of how they're going to react. He was talking about one time how he was walking through the airport and the Lord lit somebody up for him. Him. He just, okay, I knew what I had to say. So I walked by him kind of quickly and I just kind of turned to, Jesus loves you, you know, and I just kept on walking. And all of a sudden I says, hey, why'd you say that to me? Because it's true. Jesus loves you. And it was a really funny story. You know, the guy had just, he said, I've just ruined my life. And, and where are you from? I'm, I'm from Australia. That's where my girlfriend's from. And I've just ruined my life. And next thing I know, this guy's falling in my arms in the airport. And so, anyway, but that was a really good word for me to hear. You know, don't let the fear of man be stronger in you than the love of God and the, and the love of God for his people. That's what has to motivate us, the love of God for his people. So we can't control how people are going to react. That's out of our control. But the more you, you know, the more we come to know how much we've been loved, then the more convinced we are of how much God loves our brothers and sisters, especially those who are hurting, well, then we can be, God is calling us, he's commanding us to love them, to, to be light for them, to speak a, a word of encouragement, of blessing, to do something for them.